In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. The thesis I wish to suggest to you this morning um, is that the Bible is our John the Baptist. Um, I've always been a little bit um, surprised by this second Sunday of Advent because the collect is clearly thanking God for his gift in the scriptures, that prayer that I began with. And then the lessons are all about John the Baptist. And it's sort of, as I was preparing for the Sunday, it clicks that they function in such similar ways. And that's what I want to try and unpack. So look at the similarities. John the Baptist preaching prepared the way for Jesus in the hearts of those who listened. And when Jesus emerged from uh, his years of obscurity as a carpenter in Nazareth and um, showed himself to the Jewish people to begin his public ministry with the baptism of John, it was those who had believed John the Baptist who then went and followed Jesus. Right? John the Baptist prepared the way. He sort of garnered these ready disciples who then when Jesus showed up, they did um, what John the Baptist said it called them to do, which was not follow him, but follow the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, when he came. And those who were skeptical and wouldn't have liked John the Baptist's preaching, um, like King Herod, and those um, sort of in the power in the, in the day, th- those who were skeptical about John the Baptist also uh, didn't believe Jesus when he came. There was a connection. The Bible, I hope you already see the connection, contains messages that if we listen to them, will lead us to meet Christ and to become his disciple. The Bible now functions like John the Baptist in preparing the way of the Lord towards our hearts. And I think the comparisons are many. The world of messages out there, I think, is rightly described as a wilderness. The truth value of just the ideas of men and women They might be so-so, but when it comes to ultimate truth, something you can bet your life on, it's a wilderness. And think of like the bombardment of messages that we encounter every day. Headlines, TV, radio, internet, billboards, magazines, books, Twitter, news feeds. Like it's just this messages, messages, messages. But amidst all of them, there's one voice that we can really count on. One voice that we can say, yeah, this you can take to the bank. And it's the lonely, prophetic voice of the Bible, just like John the Baptist calling out in the wilderness. It's the only voice that's infallible because it points to the truth, right? The truth himself, Jesus. Great crowds gathered around John the Baptist. And what does the church do but gather around the word of God? It's the cornerstone from which every liturgy is built, whether it's a bishop's visit or baptism or regular Sunday or whatever it may be. Every liturgy is built around the cornerstone of the scriptures. That's why we listen to them here every day. And it's not an accident that we hear the word and then receive communion. Right? The word prepares our hearts to encounter the Lord spiritually in communion. When we read the Bible, either in church when we gather together or by ourselves, we are preparing, we are being prepared to to meet the Lord himself. 
and the Lord's way is made straight. I, I think that's just something worth pondering because so many, um, sadly today, try and make the straight path crooked. Right? The, the word of God is really clear in that it's, uh, when you think about a straight path, a straight path means you could see who's coming down it. Right? A windy path, you wouldn't be able to see who was coming. A straight path, you say, oh yeah, there he is. Right? A straight path is not going to have any surprises or um, sort of uh, extended detours in which you might run out of supplies. A straight path is predictable. And so many today are trying to say, oh no, the, the Bible's it's too hard to understand. You know, we, who knows, with all the change of centuries and time, you know, and they try and cast out and make it crooked. But it's a straight path. It's really clear when you read it. Here is Jesus. This is what he's asking of us. Okay, so that's all been kind of abstract. Let me get concrete. I think the way in which the Bible does the work of John the Baptist um, is at least in three ways. The first is in the act of warning. Right? John the Baptist was chiefly a herald of warning. Right? Repent, the axe is already at the root of the tree. And I think one of the things that took me a long time to figure out, when you look at the book, um, here, I'm going to head over here. Um, why is all this history of Israel included? This, all this long history, hundreds of years, right? What's the main reason? I think the chief reasons we see from 1 Corinthians 10 and Romans 15, what the instruction it was written for is so that we could see all the failings and foibles of the people of God so as not to do them. And all the judgments of God and the executions of his justice are, are as many warnings that we see time and time again through all this, right? Um, yeah, back to the podium. <laughs> back to the pulpit. Um, through all that, we see this is the way you're going to be inclined to err. And look what happens. Look at the outcome. Go a different way. Uh, the whole of the histories of the Old Testament are as many f- fire alarms of, like John the Baptist. Repent. 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 See yourself tempted in the same way. See yourself led into the same struggle. Um, and don't make the golden calf. Don't grumble against Moses. You know, all these things, each one is a lesson for us, a warning to, of a thing to avoid. That's the first way I think the Bible is a lot like John the Baptist. The second um, is the prophetic power. That John the Baptist, often when prophets were sent, they did miracles to kind of show, like, here is a teacher from God. You know, listen to them. It says explicitly that John the Baptist did no miracles, which is very interesting. And yet, Huge crowds gathered around him. Why? I think because his teaching was so prophetic that it, like the word of God itself, it sliced through bone and marrow. That It had this sort of penetrating effect. John the Baptist preaching had that, and the Bible has that. The Bible is prophetic because it was written, it was inspired by the Spirit of God. That sooner or later, if you spend um, any committed time at all listening to the Scriptures, publicly or privately, it will hit you like a plank between the eyes. You'll see your pet yourself described on the page. You're reading it's like, that's exactly what was in my mind. And when that happens once, you might think, wow, what a crazy coincidence. When it happens many times, as many of you will bear witness has happened in your reading of the Word of God, it's personal proof that this is God's book to us, right? That in his foreknowledge, as he weaves all the atoms of the universe and every second of history together, he included messages that he knew he would then bring to each of his people in their different times and places. It's a prophetic book. Um, Prophetic in its piercing quality and prophetic in its prediction of the future. Just like John the Baptist, who he knew he had a special cousin, 
but it was the Spirit of God and faith that allowed him to say, the Messiah is about to come after me, right? He was preaching on the front end before Jesus. Jesus was still a carpenter, right? He said, the Messiah is about to come, and lo and behold, the Messiah shows up. Right? His prophecy was, that prophecy was fulfilled. And we see that throughout the Bible, we just read from Isaiah, um, so many prophecies fulfilled that should give us trust in the book. Um, no human could have predicted that the tiny, pathetic, exiled nation of Israel, just one of dozens of captive peoples under the Assyrians and the Babylonians, would produce from the Davidic line a single person who would be the savior for the enemies of Israel, the Gentiles, right? Gentiles and Israel are enemies until Christ reconciles them, who would then reconcile the enemies. And the way he would do that would be by willingly being tortured by the Romans for the sins of the whole world. Right? No human would predict that, but Isaiah has every one of those prophecies. And that Jesus would then quell nations. That, that image of the wolf lying down with the lamb and the cow with the bear. Um, it functions at many levels. One is it's a prediction of the end times when all of the cosmos will be in harmony again. It's a beautiful picture. Also in Isaiah, nations are almost always represented by animals. So he's saying the great powers of the world will be calmed down by the gospel. And what have we seen? That ferocious Rome, right, calmed down by the gospel. Europe and Charlemagne calmed down by the gospel. Great nations brought to peace through Jesus Christ. Zechariah the prophet adds the name of the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, and the price that he'll be betrayed, 30 pieces of silver. Right? These are not, these, are, these, were, these prophecies were given over 400 years beforehand and fulfilled exactly in Jesus' coming. Gives us trust in the book. So that the things that haven't come true yet, one of the reasons we should think they're credible is that so many others have been fulfilled. So when the Bible says Jesus will come back, we can say, yeah, he's going to come back. Absolutely. That there, when the Bible says that there's eternal bliss for the righteous faithful, John uses that picture of the wheat being gathered into the granary. That's good, that, you can bank on it. Right? When he says that there's an unquenchable fire for the unrepentant wicked, you can bank on that. The Bible's proven trustworthy as a prophet, just like John the Baptist. So that's two ways. Okay, the third way, uh, that I think the Bible functions very much like John the Baptist. Um, and this is a little bit more mystical, but I'd ask that you'd stay with me. Um, God has appointed his written word to be the means of us personally and, and really encountering the living word, which is a biblical nickname for Jesus himself. And this chiefly happens, it can happen anytime we crack open this uh, powerful book. Chiefly, though, when we set apart time for Christian meditation on the scriptures where we allow the words to kind of sink in a bit more slowly and allow them to kind of percolate in our mind and our hearts. That when we turn our attention, I think this, um, the church testifies that the gospels in particular are especially ripe um, places for this. That when we turn our attention to Jesus on the page, by the, in some wondrous way, it's as if Jesus steps through the page that the same Jesus being described as it acts 2,000 years ago, the same Jesus who now is sitting on his throne in heaven, presents himself sort of bare to our soul in the act of reading. And you get to encounter the risen Jesus in the act of reflecting and, and ruminating on his acts that he did recorded in the Gospels. 
I think there's a real analogy here, but imagine the disciples, John the Baptist is talking about the Messiah. He's talking about the Messiah. And then all of a sudden, one moment, there's Jesus and they're face to face with the Messiah. And the scriptures can function like that. Um, if we take time to sit and, and listen to them and, and let them sink into our hearts and minds as we read, that it's like, this is not, I'm just not, not just reading about Jesus. I'm actually see, like beholding Jesus um, in a real way. The Bible is our John the Baptist. So what an amazing book. I think it's something that I can be inclined to take for granted, that God gave us this incredible book that can do these things for us. Call us back from error. Um, prove its trustworthy predictions of the future by its fulfillment of prophecies. And actually be the very means of encountering the risen Jesus himself. It's an amazing book. It's, a, it's sort of a wonder, actually. And I, I'm actually sort of baffled at my own life. Why aren't we all just sort of like, oh my gosh, tell me what's in it. I need to know. Read, read, read. Oh, i got 10 minutes. Great, I can learn more, right? Why aren't we like that? I wonder that about myself. Why aren't I that interested in this most interesting book? Um, I think, I was thinking about this, and I think one of the things is, I think it's one of those 80-20 principles. You hear that thing like 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. There's a lot, happens a lot all, all over the place. Um, I think most of us are eager to know what God would have us do. But when, I, when we look at our lives, I'm convinced that 80% of what God wants us to do is all the same for all of us. That we do have unique callings, but that's the 20%. That's the small portion. But where do we invest all our energies in the stuff that you can't find directly in the book? Ah, oh, what job should I take? What, what should I do today? Who, who should I call? What should I do in this situation? Important things, but actually kind of the icing on the cake compared to the more important things the things that are true for all of us, that the Bible calls us to, obedience, repentance, showing mercy. All the messages of the Bible. I think we would do well to sort of give 80% of our attention to what is the 80% substance, the thing that we all have in common. We are unique. We each have a particular place in God's kingdom, but the uniqueness is not the biggest thing about us. I actually would offer you that the, well, the biggest thing about us is what we have in common that we each are called to imitate the Son even as we're found in Him and redeemed by Him together in common with the church. One great hero of the faith, um, John Wesley, an Anglican priest, let's not forget, um, loved the Word of God in this way. He was one who was sort of like, tell me what was in it, and always studying it. It's some, a, a picture we can all aspire to. And he wrote this about the Bible, that I heard this a few weeks ago. I shared it with one or two of you as it came up, but um, this quote just stopped me in my tracks. So uh, with these words, I'll close. Um, so John Res Wesley wrote this down um, in his diary about 250 years ago. I'm not afraid to lay open what have been the inmost thoughts of my heart. I have thought, I am a creature of a day passing through life as an arrow through the air. I am a spirit come from God and returning to God, just hovering over the great gulf till a few moments hence, I am no more seen. I drop into an unchangeable eternity. I want to know one thing, the way to heaven, how to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach the way for this very end. He came from heaven 
and he hath written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. Give me the book of God. Amen.